Hello and welcome to Nutmeg Book Drops, Elementary Edition. This podcast is brought to you by Librarians Connect, a group of public and school librarians from throughout the state of Connecticut. Find us online at bit.ly slash librariansconnect. On each episode, we will be discussing one or more of the 2023 Elementary Nutmeg Book Award nominees. You can check these out from your local library. In this episode, we are excited to talk with Scott Riley, the author of The Floating Field, How a Group of Thai Boys Built Their Own Soccer Field. The Floating Field was published by Millbrook Press and is a 2023 Nutmeg Elementary nominee. Hello, Nutmeg listeners. I'm Maureen Schlosser, a former school librarian and classroom educator. Hi, everyone. I'm Scott Riley, author of The Floating Field, and I'm also a middle school teacher at an international school, and I'm really excited to be here with you. We're so excited to have you here. I'm Ann Poirier, and I am a school librarian at Moses Wide Beach Elementary School in Wallingford, Connecticut. So, Scott, I learned that you grew up in Connecticut, and I'm wondering what you were like as a reader here in Connecticut. That's right. I, uh, I was born and raised in Connecticut, the town of Wilton. Uh, I lived there for all of my childhood up until going off into college. I've got lots of fond memories of, of that town and living there. And my elementary school back then was called Miller School. I think now it's combined with Driscoll. So it's Miller Driscoll School. Uh, and just as a reader, I loved getting into series of books. I don't know about you and your readers, but uh, back then, some of the series that I loved was uh, the Richard Scary books uh, with the, the busy town and the animals. Uh, and then on every page, there was a little inchworm that you could follow along in the, in the day's events. I also loved uh, Dr. Seuss a lot. I uh, really enjoyed his, his sketches and his rhyming. Uh, I was a big fan of, of, of those books. And then when I got a little bit older, uh, I loved these choose your own adventure books. I don't know if you all remember those where you'd read a page and at the bottom of the page, it would let the reader decide what you want the character to do. And if you wanted to go through the door, you could go to page 14. Or if you wanted to turn around and try something else, you go to page 36. And I love just going back through those books and reading them differently to see what would happen with the text. But I have to say, one of my fondest memories was in about fourth grade with my librarian, Mrs. Smith. And what she did was, uh, it was one day in the library, and I really had no idea what book to choose. And it was kind of a daunting thing, because I wasn't always a, a, a study reader. But Mrs. Smith took the time to listen to me and, and ask what I was interested in. And I, and I said animals, I had pets, and I uh, really enjoyed animals. And, and she took me through the stacks, and she found me one book. Uh, called Mr. Popper's Penguins. And I think there's a movie. I think there might be more books uh, in the series. And, and that was the first book I remember choosing it on my own with Mrs. Smith to read it cover to cover. And I just thought that was a very special. I still remember it today, years and years later. Wouldn't it be something if the kids that are going to the school where you went to could actually get the same copy that you read? Because I bet you oh my gosh, still on the show. I bet it's still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, ch I'll check it out, definitely. <laughs> I bet it is. It's a classic. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. So now you live in Singapore. What I compelled do. you to move so far away? 
Well, if you look, it's really far away. If you look on a map, it's almost the exact opposite point on the globe uh, from where Connecticut is. And, and like I said, I lived uh, in the same town and even in the same house all the way through growing up. And, and I loved that. I kind of knew everyone in town and, and I started babysitting neighbors and, and ride bikes in the town, which I think a lot of the kids still do in Connecticut. Uh, and I eventually got some jobs in the town as a teenager. But I had this chance in high school to spend a, a summer abroad uh, in a, an exchange program and live with a family. And so I signed up and I didn't really get to choose where to go, but it came back saying that I'd been accepted to go to this country called Tunisia in Africa. And for me, that just sounded like another planet. I, I couldn't locate it on the globe, but I was super excited. And when I traveled there, I just saw how different things are in the world and how exciting things can be. I, I got to know a family living there. I celebrated some of their Muslim holidays when I was there. I tasted the foods and I went to weddings and events that just really brought a, a whole new experience to what it means to live in the world today. And so when I, I came back to Connecticut, I had that kind of itch to travel again and see a different part of the world. And later on in college, I had a chance to live in France for a year. And, and I just thought that every time I go away, I just see and explore and discover new things. Back when I was a kid, that experience was kind of like playing out in my backyard and in the woods, you know, going on adventures. And, and that was always fun and exciting because I'd always learn something new or find out uh, new ways of doing things. And now I was doing it on a global scale. And so luckily I convinced my wife, Mrs. Riley, who's also a teacher, that maybe we should do this for our living. Like maybe we should teach not just in the States, but overseas. And so we had a chance to move across the world. We've lived in places like Indonesia and uh, Czech Republic. And, and now in Singapore, and it's just been an amazing journey the whole way through. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm, thanks. Another way that kids could learn about different countries too, of course, is books. So, but mm -hmm. keep in mind, even though our listeners are in second and third grade, keep in mind when you're in high school, there might be opportunities mm -hmm. for you to go spend some time with another family. How long were you in Africa? Was it- I was there two months. It was during oh. the summer months, yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, it was, it, I didn't have to interrupt my school year. Uh, and it was a, a great chance to, to explore the, the world. I think there are programs that still, still offer those experiences. Oh, you definitely. Yes. I know. Yeah. I know somebody that is doing it right now. So yeah, yeah it's a great way yeah. to explore the world. It sure is. So as you mentioned, you've taught in different places. Our listeners are probably interested in learning about schools in different countries, and they're probably mm -hmm. wondering, are they the same? Are they different? I'm sure there's a lot of differences. Yeah, there, there are some similarities and differences. Many uh, schools, that many countries have local schools where you go in and they speak the local language and they have their own school kind of cultures. But in, in the schools I teach in, they're called international schools. And so very often their families would locate to these countries maybe for a job. So they're not always from that country. Uh, in my school now, we've got many Americans who live here in Singapore. I think over half of the student population are Americans, but we also have students from uh, India and China and Thailand and Japan and Europe, all over the world. And so their parents might have a job here in Singapore. They might work in the embassies as well. So we have lots of diplomatic 
uh, parents. And in, uh, at our school, everyone speaks English. And so it actually looks and sounds a lot like maybe what a school in Connecticut might look like. It just would be made up of people from all over the world. And maybe they're only here for a, a couple of years or two years uh, or three or four years before their family then moves on. And the countries are also just fascinating too, because we go to school during the day, but then on the weekends and uh, even in the afternoons, we can explore out into the city. And so the city I live in now in Singapore is a wonderful city. It's got lots of skyscrapers. And it's all along on the equator. So there are lots of rainforests. And if I ride my bike home from school, I might ride by some, some monkeys that live here in Singapore. And then I'll go downtown and go to the malls and visit the skyscrapers. And so it, it's this wonderful mix of nature and really a bustling civilization. In another country, I, I lived in, in the Czech Republic, which is in the middle of Europe, that had a very old medieval feel to it. So the school was very modern and you'd, you'd, again, you'd go to school and it would look and sound like a lot of, of what my schools in Connecticut were like when I grew up. But then after school, you might go downtown in a tram or a metro and you'd be on cobblestone streets where armored soldiers used to walk around in the, in the medieval times and there'd be a castle on a hill and an old town square where at Christmas time there'd be little markets and, and booths. And so that's one fun thing uh, that we've experienced is that each country has its own unique feel to it, but there's some common things at the school that we, we get used to and know and, and can bring our teaching and work with other teachers and students that's also common with what you all might experience in Connecticut. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So the floating field is such a fascinating story. Mm -hmm. and It's actually mm -hmm. true. Can you it give is. us some background about the floating yeah, field? Right. The, those of you who know the story, knows, uh, you know that it takes place in a country called Thailand, which is not too far from where I live. And Thailand's known for its beautiful beaches and vibrant culture. You might have Thai restaurants in Connecticut with the wonderful spicy food and fresh food. And tourists travel to this, this place from all over the world to visit the amazing sites uh, in the city of Bangkok is its capital. And so one of the things that tourists do is, is they go visit the islands and there's lots of snorkeling and kayaking. And there's one island in particular where the story takes place that you, you may remember. It's called Koh Phangui. And it's this tiny island. Of, of, it's a fishing village. And it's really uh, just one cliff that kind of juts out of the sea. And there are about 200 families of fishermen and their families live on this island. And they've traveled to this place a, a couple hundred years ago because of its wonderful location in, in this bay that it has great access to fishing. And over time, they've built this village over the water. So it's literally on stilts. They've got the houses there and the, the mosque, which is the, the heart of the, the village. And there's even a school there. And so what happened was in the 1980s, right when I was about a, a, a kid in Connecticut, there was a group of boys on this island who loved soccer so much. The problem was they could only play it once a month when the, the tides, the full moon tides, shifted the water so that a sandbar would appear. They would rush to the sandbar and play their game of soccer before the tides would come back and then make the sandbar disappear. And so one year they were watching a World Cup game on TV. There was only one TV on the island. 
And one of the boys said, boy, we should have our own team. And then another boy named Prosit said, well, let's build our own field because a team needs a field. And so the next day they went out into the village and they collected wood and styrofoam and, and they really didn't know what they were doing, but they just started putting things together. And in a few weeks and in a, in a month or two, they actually had a platform that was floating in the water and they were able to turn it into a soccer field. So that's the that story. And, and there's more, yeah, there's, there's more that, that happens in the story, uh, especially when they find out that there's a tournament that they could join on the mainland. So the story continues following the boys to see how they did in their first tournament. I love just picturing the, the engineering and the level of a collaboration that to, to create That's something right. like that. Phenomenal. That's right. And they said they had no plan. They didn't really know what they were doing, but that didn't matter to them. They just stuck with it and, and just kept working. When something didn't work out, they'd readjust and try something new, which is just that's that's a lesson in and of itself, isn't it? Wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They must have had some background knowledge too, seeing as their village is built on stilts. So knowing that and seeing that happening, they probably took what they knew about that to apply it to building the floating. Field. I think so. You know, uh, I, I was able to visit there. Uh, and so what in the research process, I found out about the story and I was fascinated maybe just like you are and, and thinking like, how in the world were they able to do that? And so I read everything I could. I found some videos online and, and looked up travel books. And, and I knew if I, if I had to really find out the true story, I had to go there and see if the field was still there, see if any of the boys were still there and really understand it fully. And so luckily my family had a trip planned to a nearby island called Phuket, which you may have heard of. It's a big resort island. And it's not too far from that island where I took a, a taxi up to a boat and I arrived on this island of Koh Panyi. And I knew there was that boy Prasit in, in my research. And I knew from my research that Prasit grew up, stayed on the island. He became a player on the soccer team and then eventually a coach on the soccer team for the soccer team but I didn't know if he was still there. So I arrived. And what's interesting about this island is it kind of gets a little sleepy at night. Everyone shuts down their little stalls of food and, and souvenirs. There are no real hotels on the island like uh, some of the other islands in Thailand. And so I was kind of walking around looking, but my language, I don't speak Thai and many of the villagers didn't speak English. And so I had to find a, uh, a way to find if Prasit was there. And I found these boys actually with a soccer ball. And I thought, oh my gosh, maybe they could help me. And I showed my phone with a picture of, of the field and pointed. And they took me over to where the school was and called this man over. And I said, oh, this might be Prasit. This man came over and I said, hello, are you Prasit? He said, no, I'm the English teacher. So... He was the English teacher who could help me. And, and I said, I'm looking for this man, Prasit. Do you know if he still lives here? And he said, yes, yes, he lives here. And in fact, he's over, he's right over there at his friend's house. And so I walked over and I found Prasit and he's there and he's my age. He's an old man now. And so uh, I said, Prasit, I, I really am taken with your story. Is there a chance we can meet? It was getting close to prayer time at night. 
for the, the mosque in Prasad. So he said, yeah, let's meet in the morning and I'll tell you the whole story. And he's now a, a village leader. So he's helping the village with other initiatives like recycling and uh, electricity maintenance and COVID relief uh, since the pandemic. But I was able to sit down in his uncle's coffee shop and we had kind of sugary donuts and coffee when he told me the story. And if you notice, little details like this come up in the story. And it's only because I was able to, to be there and walk through the raised walkways and see the sights and smells. If you read the book or look at the illustrations, you'll notice that all those little details are true and authentic as possible because that's what you need in a nonfiction book. So that's the story, a little bit about the story behind the story. Uh, and it was just so much fun. Again, the, thinking back of, of, of just traveling and exploring and discovering and, and just what I learned so much from Prasit and from the villagers is, is just tremendous. The research process, it sounds like the most important part was actually going there. It really was. Without it, I don't think I could have written the book. I don't think I, I needed to talk to Prasit. I needed to get his perspective. And in the back matter of the book, he's written a part as well. So you can hear Prasit's voice in the back. And what actually I went back a year later because it's, you know, a good question is, is whose story is it to tell? Is it my story? Is it process story? And, and I'm very aware of my own limitations and it's not really my story to tell. It's, it's really process, but with his blessing and with his, we went over the manuscript line by line to check for authenticity. Uh, and so, and to this day, we still remain friends and and uh, some of the proceeds of the book goes directly back to the the villagers and covid relief uh i'm planning on seeing him uh at christmas time i'm gonna bring him more books uh so it's been a wonderful friendship that's really come out of this whole experience oh that's really fabulous mm. that's an incredible mm -hmm. story um, thanks what a wonderful way to bring your your life's work, your travel around mm -hmm. the world, and then to use that experience to make these connections and then share it with, you know, children in yeah. the United States and around the world. That's right. Maybe so if you can't go to Thailand, that's right. If you can't go to Thailand yourself, you can if you just open the book, you'll be right there. Yeah. I would just really like to try one of those sugary, doughy treats. <laughs> <laughs> they were delicious. They were delicious, I will say. <laughs> so um, you talked about getting feedback on your rough drafts from Prasit himself. That's Are there, right. Um, other parts of the process of getting there feedback? There are, yeah. What, you know, I, one of the things I learned is that uh, just like Prasit, used a team to build his floating field with his friends. It took a team for me as a writer to get this book to where it is. And, and the first group, I actually have a little writing group. I know some students have writing partners or writing groups that they get feedback from. And uh, a couple other teachers at my school, we all really enjoy writing. So about once a month, we bring pieces of work that we're, we're trying out and, and we ask specific questions of like feedback we'd like. and. And they were really helpful in helping me shape the story and the narrative arc. And if you think about uh, if you've ever studied story mountains where you, you know, the rise and excitement, there are actually kind of two story mountain arcs in this book. The one where the boys are building the, 
the field and then later when they go play in a tournament. Uh, so that was an interesting thing for me to consider whether I wanted to just stop at the field or include the tournament. Another uh, person that's helped me along the way is a lot of writers have agents. And so these are the people who help writers revise and edit to get it as good as possible to then find an editor to actually make the book. And so I got feedback from my agent who then found an editor who really wanted to make the book possible. And then she would give feedback. And first it's kind of big ideas like structural, like what I was talking about in terms of, of the narrative arc. Another thing uh, could be voice. Uh, I had to think about third person voice. I didn't want to use first person I because I'm not process. Uh, so that was a consideration. And then some feedbacks more about sentences and sections. And then some are even specific words. And I remember going back and forth with my editor on this, the, the subtitle. We ended up with the floating field, how a group of Thai boys built their own soccer field. But there were other considerations to what that little subtitle might be. And what was really interesting when the sketches came, because then the editor found these wonderful illustrators from Vietnam. Uh, their names are Nguyen Quang and Kim Lien. And so they would draw sketches and then ask for feedback, just like a writer would. And it was really interesting one of their initial sketches, uh, they drew, they, and it's the opening spread in the book where they uh, drew the mosque and the mosque was in the wrong position in an initial sketch. And so we gave them feedback of where the mosque had to be and then which orientation it had to go. And if you know anything about mosques, they have to all face towards a city called Mecca in Saudi Arabia. So there's very specific detail that needed to get right. Uh, and again, the birds are actual types of birds, uh, sea eagles that are living and the flying fish are living. So they have to find all the, the details like we do in our words to make them just right. They do it with their sketches to make them just right. So that was, that was a lot of learning. And I don't know if you could guess how many different drafts I had along the way. Any guesses? Hmm. I'm going to guess 42. <gasps> it was 40, 43. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. That's amazing. <laughs> Go buy a lottery ticket. That's amazing. <laughs> no, I always tell kids because they uh, and my students, you know, they, they think it's one and done or two and I'm through and nope, keep going, keep going, keep going. Because that was the other thing that I learned was I used to think I had to be a good writer right when I sat down. And that's not true because you just need to get something down on paper and then revise. You need to be a good rewriter, not a good writer. And if, if you don't give yourself that time and space to rewrite, it may not get as good as it could be for the reader. The it's other really thing funny. about revision, and uh, this might be interesting for kids, is that in picture books, it's important to see what the line is right before you turn the page, right before the page break. And so often, if you read a book, it kind of, if there are good page breaks, it makes the reader, you got, you got to really turn the page because you really want to know what happens. And so I worked a little bit on that in my revisions too. Well, you mentioned a little bit about what Prasad is doing now uh, to help his mm -hmm. village with COVID and other things, but I'm mm -hmm. wondering, 
now that he's an old man like you, <laughs> is he still playing soccer? He's not still playing soccer. Uh, he's uh, his son is played on the team, uh, and they're they're known as the Penny Football Club. And believe it or not, after uh, the boys built the floating field, it wasn't too long after where they became regional champions for a number of years. And if and even today, if you ask uh, some Thai people what are some good local teams, they'll they'll mention this island team of Koh Penny. And so uh, uh, he's not playing anymore, but he goes out and cheers for them uh, whenever he, he can. They, they don't play on, on the floating field anymore either. They've, uh, they have a, a field on a concrete platform right next to the school. So it's not far from the floating field. Uh, and when I was there that day, uh, and almost every day, when the fishermen come home and the sun's starting to set, you'll find the team practicing out there uh whenever they can because the the love of the game is still is still so strong on the island what is your hope that readers will take away from the floating field so i i hope they enjoy it of course um and that's that's one big one but what i wanted to point out and this the editor and i talk about revisions she she had this great idea on the very first page she wanted to highlight a quote from Prosit. and i remember vividly we were standing in front of the floating the current floating field and i asked him like what what did you learn through all this and and here's what he said he said you know what's most important is that anything is possible and as a community or team you can overcome incredibly impossible odds and that's when I realized he had done that for the field. And I was doing that with my writing. I was trying to do something incredibly impossible in my mind. And just the examples keep coming from, from Prasid in, in terms of helping his village with COVID because what happened was no tourists would come to Thailand for a year or two. And so people uh, often stop at Koh Phangi, not to spend the night because there are no hotels, but there are restaurants. And so if they're snorkeling in the bay or kayaking, they would stop and eat at a restaurant, uh, but that all stopped. And so the people wouldn't have much income other than fishing. Uh, now there are people who uh, participate in the tourist industry, whether they're kayak guides or, or other boat drivers and things like that. Uh, but for two years, they couldn't do anything. And Prosit was instrumental in, in getting donations to buy food and deliver it to the people on the island. They started building crab farms so that they could not just get fish, but they could trap some crabs. And now the good news is that tourists are coming back. And so he's, he, and, he and the villagers are able to, to fill their restaurants a little bit more. And, and um, hopefully all the, the COVID impacts aren't, aren't long lasting at all. So that's what that's what he's doing now. And and uh, and that's what I take away from from the book. And, you know, is it a book about soccer? Of course. Is it a book about um, an amazing place with an amazing person? It sure is. But it's also about things that maybe we could think about in our own lives. So if we have a dream or, or a goal or or a talent we want to get better at, who is your team that's going to help you do that? And what are you going to do if if uh, another thing in the book? is that the villagers at first didn't really support the boys. They thought they were kind of crazy to do that. So what are you going to do when people kind of say, oh, that's not a great idea. Are you going to listen to them or not? 
And hopefully, if you're like Prosit, you won't listen to them. You'll just follow your dream and make it come true. Thank you. Yeah. yeah what a really wonderful celebration of community. Yeah. Thank you so much. Book. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciated learning more about the book, about the writing process and your research process. And I know our listeners are going to take away a lot from this conversation. So thank you very much. Oh, it was my pleasure. And I only wish I could uh, be there in Connecticut and see see those kids and, and uh, hear about their reading too. Someday I hope to get back there. That'll be fun. Yeah, it sure will. Thanks so much. That's it for this week's episode of Nutmeg Book Drops Elementary Edition. You can find out more about our podcast at our website, bit.ly slash librariansconnect. Subscribe to our podcast to be notified when the next episode drops. Thanks so much for listening.